Well, we are in Second Kings, chapter 18. I believe your outline says First Kings. I don't know why I keep typing that, but it's supposed to be Second Kings. And I did make a change on the, uh, most of the outlines, but not the ones that you have in front of you. We are only going to cover the first eight verses in Kings. We're going to be over in Chronicles and take a look at some of the details there. Gives us about Hezekiah before we move on into the rest of chapter 18. So in verse 1, Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Now Hosea is the last king of the northern tribes. We looked at him last week. And this is the third year is when Hezekiah comes. So Hosea still has a few more years to reign up in the north. So um, Assyria has not quite come down to conquer the northern tribes. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abai, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. So on this one, we go all the way back to David, and we compare him to David, which is always a good thing. When we see some of the details of Hezekiah's reign, we're going to find some things that maybe were not quite as right as they should have been, but he still gets the classification that he did what was right. Generally, you only get a classification one of two ways. Either you did what was evil or you did what was right. There isn't anything else. So he gets the uh, right designation. In verse 4, he removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Israel nor who were before him. For he, had, for he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. So he begins right away to reform and to restore. He, um, he does not wait for this. And over in Second Chronicles chapter 29, verse 3, we're going to go there in just a little while, but we're going to find out that in the first year of his reign and the first month, of his reign, he begins these reforms. That's about as quick as you can get at it. <laughs> he takes the throne, and the thing that he does is he begins to reform and restore the worship of Jehovah. So we'll get over to Chronicles here in just a little bit, but some of the things that listed he did is that he removed the high places. This seems to have more reference to the pagan worship than the high places that the children of Israel were using. So we're going to probably assume that that's what the, that, uh, most of them were. Some of the, it, it doesn't specifically say the high places for Jehovah's worship. But uh, some of the notes I have on this is it mostly was regarding the pagan worship that was going on. He broke down the sacred pillars. We don't have sacred pillars in the worship of Jehovah. These are idolatrous worships, worship services, uh, things that would go on. So the sacred pillars, he cut them down, broke them down. He cut down the wooden image. This would be some idols. That were around. So the children of Israel had built up some idols. He went in and he cut them down. And destroyed the bronze serpent, the Hushton. Now the bronze serpent, you may remember, goes all the way back to the days of Moses. When Moses was bringing the children around and the serpents were released. And they were biting the children of Israel. And God told Moses, take one of them, wrap it around a, a pole. And cover it in brass, set that above the, the people. Whoever looks to it will be cured. Whoever doesn't will die. And so, you know, some people just refuse to look at the... <laughs> You wonder why. What's so hard about looking? They didn't do it. They died. But the other ones, they looked at the bronze serpent and they were taken care of. This is the same thing that is used for the medical practices today. The serpent going around the pole. 
They copied it from, from this particular thing here. But what had happened was that the children of Israel began to worship it as an idol. And so he took it and destroyed it. Now think about this. This relic goes all the way back to the days of Moses. That is a long time. And he destroyed it because people were worshiping it instead of Jehovah God. How much guts does it take to destroy something like that? That'll tell you a little bit about Hezekiah. This thing goes back all those years. This is part of their history. And he doesn't just put it away somewhere that they can't worship. He destroys it. He cut down all their idols. He cut down their high places, removed their high places, took out the sacred pillars. That is quite a bit of reform right there. This is the man who is serious. And he does this in the first month of the first year of his reign. Welcome, new king. New king comes in and this is immediately what he gets to. It says the Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. In verse 8, he subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from watchtower to fortified city. So he subdued some of the Philistines, got some of them uh, kicked out. But let's go over to Second Chronicles chapter 29. We're going to begin in verse 3. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. How bad is it when in order to open the doors you have to repair them? Well, that's one of the first things that you've got to do. Open the doors of the Lord and repair them. It gets worse. Then he, he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them to the, in the east square. And he said to them, Hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers, and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. Is that not shocking? That first off, the Levites and the priests are not in the state of being sanctified. The house of the Lord is in such disrepair, there is rubbish in the holy place. So he gathers them all together and tells them all to sanctify themselves. For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him, have turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord and turned their backs on him. They have also shut up the doors of the vestibule, put out the lamps, and have not burned incense or burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Now that's pretty striking. There have been no sacrifices and the people don't mind this. This is why the priests aren't sanctified, aren't ready, because there hasn't been any, any use for them to get in there and to do anything. No one's bringing sacrifices. It's just not going on. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he has given them up to trouble, to desolation, and to jeering, as you see with your eyes. For indeed, because of this, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons, our daughters, and our wives are in captivity. Remember, some of them were taken captive in the... Uh, uh, chapters before. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him to serve him and that you should minister to him and burn incense. We need to get back into the place of restoring. We need to get back to the place of, of worshiping God. We need to get back to the place of taking the house of the Lord and using it. Can you imagine this great temple that Solomon had built all those years spent on the temple well a lot of the gold had been taken out and sold and uh, they had, uh, you know, kings had ransacked it before but it's still a beautiful building all these things they had put in there and it's idle 
It's not being used. So he tells them to get, them, get themselves ready. We're going to begin to start this, this, uh, this uh, worship of God, of Jehovah. You all need to get yourself going. Get yourself ready. In verse 12, Then those Levites arose, Mahath, the son of Amasi, and Joel, the son of Azariah, of the sons of the Kohathites, and of the sons of Merari, Kish, the son of Abdi, and Azariah, the son of Jehalalel, of the Gershonites, Joah, the son of Zima, and Eden, the son of Joah, of the sons of Eliasaphim, Shimri, and Jael, of the sons of Asaph, Zechariah, and Mataniah, of the sons of Hermon, Jehiel, and Shemael, of the sons of Jeduthun, Shemaiah, and Uziel. And they gathered their brethren, sanctified themselves, and went according to the commandment of the king at the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. Then the, then the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the debris that they found in the temple of the Lord to the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it out, carried it to the brook Kidron. They start with the inner part. Isn't that something? They start with the inner part. They don't start with the outer part. They start with the inner part. And there was debris. There was trash. There was rubbish. All this in the house of the, of the Lord. How much is this, this is in the very holy of holies? I don't know. But remember, kings that had come on in there and had ransacked the place and had taken the gold and had taken the things out. Now, when they began to sanctify... On the first day of the first month, on the eighth day of the month, they came to the vestibule of the Lord. Then they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days, and on the sixteenth day of the first month, they finished. So basically, it took them eight days to work on the inner part of the temple, and the other eight days, they worked on the, the rest of it, all the way on the, onto the outside. That's sixteen days to clean out the temple. Sixteen days to clean it all out, to sanctify all the vessels for use again. Now, and these, from what we have on some notes on these things, they were working around the clock. They were, they were going in shifts. They were working around the clock. And it took them all that time to get the place into order. It just tells you how long it has been since this has been used. This is the southern tribe. This is not the northern tribe. This is the southern tribe. And they went into the king Hezekiah and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord, the altar of burnt offerings with all its articles, and the table of the showbread with all its articles. Moreover, all the articles which King Ahaz in his reign had cast aside in his transgression, we have prepared and sanctified. And, they are, and there they are before the altar of the Lord. So the king Ahaz had actually gone in here and had taken some of the things that he wanted, took them out, used them for things he wanted to do. And other ones he said, We don't need this, and just chucked them. So they're laying around on the floor. They're laying around in, in uh, disuse. And that's the condition of the house of the Lord. And they said, we took all those things that he cast aside and we sanctified them. Then King Hezekiah rose early, gathered the rulers of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. And they brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, and seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom, for the sanctuary, and for Judah. Then he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. So they killed the bulls, and the priests received the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. Likewise, they killed the rams and sprinkled the blood on the altar. They also killed the lambs, sprinkled the blood on the altar. They, they, then they brought out the male goats for the sin offering before the king and the assembly, and they laid their hands on them, and the priests killed them 
And they presented their blood on the altar as a sin offering to make an atonement for all Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering be made for all Israel. And he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with stringed instruments, with harps, according to the commandment of David, uh, of Gad the, the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet. For thus was the command of the Lord by his prophets. So they still know what the commands were back in the days of David. And they brought, came and brought them, restored them. The Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priest with the trumpets. Then Hezekiah commanded them to offer the burnt offering on the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord also began with the trumpets and with the instruments of David, king of Israel. Whether that's the actual instruments that David used or just the ones that he brought in, not sure. So all the assembly of worship and the singers sang and the trumpeters sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had finished offering, the king and all who were present with him bowed and worshipped. Moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praise to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with gladness and they bowed their heads and worshipped. Then Hezekiah answered and said, Now that you have consecrated yourself to the Lord, come near, bring sacrifices and thank offerings into the house of the Lord. So the assembly brought in sacrifices and thank offerings, and as many as were willing, brought uh, of a willing heart, brought burnt offerings. As many as were willing. There are some people who weren't willing. Some people decided not to go along with this, and they stayed out of it. But there are others that were willing, and they wanted to. They didn't make people who were unwilling go along with it. If you wanted to, come on along. We're going to worship Jehovah. If you don't, then stay home. They're not forcing them into, into worship. Of course, you can't force people into worshiping God. That's not the, the true worship. Verse 32, And the number of the burnt offerings which the assembly brought was 70 bulls, 100 rams, 200 lambs, and all those were for a burnt offering to the Lord. The consecrated things were 600 bulls and 3,000 sheep. But the priests were too few so that they could not skin all the burnt offerings. Imagine that as, as a skill of the priest. You have to be able to skin the burnt offerings. Therefore, their brethren, the Levites, helped them until the work was ended and until the other priests had sanctified themselves. For the Levites were more diligent in sanctifying themselves than the priests. Now, priests are Levites, but all Levites are not priests. And apparently, the general class of Levites was more diligent to get themselves ready for the service of the Lord than were the priests. Isn't that kind of something? I don't know how much it takes to, uh, to go through all this. Why can't everybody do it on the same time? Why can't everybody come together and, and get this thing done? But apparently some of them just say, I don't, I'll, I'll, get take, I'll, I'll do that, but you know, not today. And by the time that the sacrifice were being made, some of the priests just were not ready to participate and had to sit on the sidelines. They just weren't ready for that. It seems that the priests, because they hadn't been used in a while, had gotten a little lackadaisical in getting themselves ready. But we have to get ourselves ready for the service of the Lord. Whatever it is that we have to do, we've got to stand ready. We've got to get ready. We've got to be ready at all times. Just because we aren't called on doesn't mean that we shouldn't be ready. And the priests and the Levites should have been ready. I mean, they weren't ready. And Hezekiah said, now get ready. And still some of them did not get ready. Once we get lazy, we can stay lazy. Real easy. And that's what happened with some of these priests. They got lazy. They got uh, figured that wasn't that big a deal. Whatever it was. But the Word of God made sure that we knew they could have done a better job than they did. And the Levites went after it. 
So they were ready. And so some of them got pulled into the service that was supposed to be done by the priest. Because the priests were too few in number. Also, the burnt offerings were in abundance with the fat of the peace offerings and with the drink offerings for every burnt offering. So the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. Then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people since the events took place so suddenly. So this is all happening pretty quick. In the first month of his first year, previous king didn't worship God. First year, his reign, first month, he says, let's get the house of God ready. And in 16 days, they got it ready. Now, let's get the priest ready. Because the priests were all cleaning up stuff. Then now let's get the priest ready. Get you guys consecrated to get out there and to do this. So they worked on getting them consecrated and preparing them. And it all came about right quickly. He didn't sit, let this sit on the, the... He didn't just wait for this to happen. Hezekiah is making this happen. Quickly. And he's putting this together. It had been... It must have been something that was on him to do for a long time. He's 25 years old when he took the throne. He watched his father Ahaz and the things that he did. He didn't like some of those things that his father Ahaz was doing. But he waited and he waited and he waited. And he's thinking all the time, when I take the throne, God, I am going to restore worship back to you. He did not suddenly just become a believer in God. He has been one. And it must have hurt him to see the house of God in disrepair. The priest not being used. Sacrifices not going on. How many times do you think he took a walk out by the the temple and saw the debris that was out there and prayed to God, God, we need to, to get here and we need to put this thing back. When I take the throne, we need things to be ready because we're going to jump on this. And he's praying he's talking to God about this. Surely this is going on. And so as soon as he takes the throne, he's at it. He's going to town with this thing. But he waits until he took the throne. He didn't usurp his father's authority as king, nor did he let his father's attitude come upon him. And as soon as he had the opportunity, it's the thing that he took on first. You can see why God said some good things about him. He, he really went after this and, and did not care for his own safety. I mean, he destroyed some very sacred things to people. Didn't ask that they were willing for that. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 30. And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel. Ephraim and Manasseh. This might be, remember we told you before that the northern kingdom may have had two kings at a time. It may have been something to, to deal with that. Uh, I believe that they're all united under Hosea when he comes to, to the throne. But Pekah had a, 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 another um, person that it seemed like he, he ruled part and they ruled part. But anyway, he sent letters to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel. They had not fallen yet. They will be soon, but they had not fallen yet. For the king and his leaders and all the assembly in Jerusalem had agreed to keep the Passover in the second month. Passover is in the first month. Jeroboam had altered the dates of the feast, changed the the purpose of them, messed with them all kinds of ways. This is not what Hezekiah is doing. Hezekiah is doing this simply because there's not time to get everything ready. If you're going to do the Passover right, you've got, you got to do it right. You've got to have the right kind of lambs. You've got to have enough priests to do all the things that were there. The, the uh, people need to be made ready. There's a, the, the unleavened bread that comes first, and that needs to be done. And they just said, we cannot get this done and do this the way we need to do it from the Word of God in the first month when it's supposed to be held. So they all say, hey, but if we do this, 
heaven if we go just this one year. Next year we'll be ready. But just this one year, as we're getting ready, let's do it in the second month. Same days, second month. So instead of April, it'd be May. If it was, uh, you know, sometimes it's a little bit earlier than that, but it's just putting it off by a month. So they delayed it one month. That's not a whole lot of, it's not a big delay, but it's enough delay to, to get everything done that they wanted to do. So that's what they went ahead and did. For they could not keep it at the regular time because a sufficient number of priests had not been consecrated themselves, nor had the people gathered themselves at Jerusalem. And the matter pleased the king and all the assembly. This is one of those feasts that everybody had to come to Jerusalem for. So they resolved to make a proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba to Dan. Dan is way up in the north. Dan is where they have that golden calf. That they should come to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem, since they had not done it for a long time in the prescribed manner. Then the runners, here we go, went throughout all Israel and Judah with the letters from the king and his leaders and spoke according to the commandment of the king. Children of Israel, return to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Then he will return to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Remember, the king of Assyria had come down one time and, uh, and they put Hosea in place. But they had conquered them and they put Hosea in as a, as a uh, ruler and then they left. They were eventually going to come down again and conquer them because Hosea is going to rebel against the king who takes the place of the one who put him in. So they're going through and says, look, y'all fell to Assyria. Many of you have, uh, you guys here, you survived. There are people who didn't, but you all survived. Come on, come worship Jehovah. Come down here. We're going to put on the feast. This is for you guys as well. Come on down to Jerusalem. You all are welcome. We want you to come. So they sent runners. They had the letters to read from the king. Now, this might be a dangerous thing because you remember in the, with, with Pekka, they had come down and they conquered uh, the, the southern tribes of Judah. And they took away some of them captive. There's hostility between these folks. They're, they're not liking each other a whole lot. And they took runners to go and to read an invitation from the king down in the south. You get caught. That can be a dangerous thing to do. But these guys decided we're going to go ahead and do it. We're going, to, we're going to risk our lives to go up in the northern tribes and to tell them to come on down. To invite them. That they'd come down and be, be a part of this. Children of Israel, return to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Then he will return to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. And do not be like your fathers and your brethren who trespassed against the Lord God of their fathers so that he gave them up to desolation as you see. Now do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and enter his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever. And serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may be turned away from you. For if you return to the Lord, your brethren and your children will be treated with compassion by those who led them captive, so that they may come back to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful, and will not turn his face from you if you return to him. Now, this sounds like a pretty much of a prophetic word. And I wonder if Hezekiah and all this seeking of the Lord had also sought after the prophets. And the pro- this is a word that the prophets brought. Isaiah is one of the people who's around at this time. And in fact, in one of the chapters here, we're going to find out that he sends word to Isaiah to get, get a, um, a direction from him as to what to do. 
And so he could be, this could be a word that came from him or one of the prophets and they sent this out. Look, if you guys will do this, if you'll come on down and you're the people who are taken away, they can be brought back. But you got to serve the Lord. Come on down. Repent. And so they sent them through. They said, your, your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn his face from you if you return to him. They still called him, he, he's your God. But you got to return to him. Verse 10, so the runners passed from city to city throughout the country of Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun. But they laughed at them and mocked them. Nevertheless, some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. So some of them did come, but they got laughed at. They got mocked. Now, can you imagine the situation? Here's the runner. He comes in. He reads the letter. And bunches of people around mocking them. Maybe throwing tomatoes or, or things like that at them. Just mocking them and laughing at them. And there's some people who are taking this to heart maybe, but they feel the pressure from all these folks that are laughing and mocking. And maybe they don't stand right up and say, hey, we'll come. Maybe they um, kind of cower in the background and just kind of sneak off and do that. But the runners go from city to city, even though they are laughed at, even though they are mocked from place to place, even though they're risking their lives to go throughout this, this uh, country to tell their brethren, Come on down for the Passover. Come on down and be part of the sacrifice. And uh, many of them just don't listen. A few did. You imagine if you're one of, the, one of the runners and it looked like nobody came. Nobody listened. And then when you get on down there, you, you see a few. Where are you from? We're from Zebulun. We heard the runners came through, read the letter, and we decided to come. Oh, they had to be excited about that. So they had a special word that was tailored just to these folks. Verse 12, and the hand of God was on Judah to give them singleness of heart to obey the command of the king and the leaders at the word of the Lord. Singleness of heart. You imagine that. These are folks who all worshiped all kinds of idols now are coming together to worship Jehovah God. Now, many people, a very great assembly gathered at Jerusalem to keep the feast of unleavened bread in the second month. They arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem and they took away all the incense altars and cast them into the Brook Kidron. The Brook, Brook Kidron, you ought to see all the stuff that's thrown in there. It's kind of a symbolic river. We're not going to get a, a, a brook. It's kind of a symbolic thing right outside of Jerusalem. And you ever want to do a fun little search, just do a search on the Brook Kidron and see all the different things that come up all the times they go down there to dump stuff. Then they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th day of the second month. The priests and the Levites were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought the, the, burnt, the burnt offerings. Now, that word there, uh, be ashamed, my margin had said on, on that that they humbled themselves. I think that's better. I don't know why they said they, said they were ashamed, but it sure seems to fit a lot more that they, the priests and Levites humbled themselves and sanctified themselves and brought the burnt offerings to the house of the Lord. They stood in their place according to the custom, according to the law of Moses, the man of God, and the priests sprinkled the blood received from the hand of the Levites. For there were many in the assembly who had not sanctified themselves. Therefore, the Levites had charge of the slaughter of the Passover lands for everyone who was not clean to sanctify them to the Lord. For a multitude of the people, many from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Issachar, and Zebulun, had not cleaned themselves, yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them and saying, May the good Lord provide atonement for everyone. So we had all these people that came. They made the trip on down. You, you don't want to say to these folks who made an effort, look, you're, sorry, I know you made a long trip. 
really appreciate you coming. We invited you, but we're not going to let you participate in this because you haven't quite done everything that you, you should do. So Hezekiah says, look, we need to get them involved in this. We need to get them back over to God. We're going to make an exception. We're going to let them do this without having consecrated themselves. And Hezekiah prayed for them that they wouldn't die. <laughs> and it seems that the Lord listened to him. So he says, May the good Lord provide atonement for everyone who prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. Boy, what a difference from the Pharisees' attitude when Jesus is there. They're more concerned with the ceremonial cleansing than they are with getting themselves right. These folks got themselves right. They came to, to worship God. Not everything was completely uh, where it should be in their life, but they came, they made the trip, they wanted to be part of God again. And they said, you know what? We can't just let that ceremony stand in the way. We need to, we need to, um, to, to do this. Now, the next year, they probably wouldn't have said the same thing. But this year, they, they did. And the Lord listened to Hezekiah and healed the people so that they were sanctified. So the children of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing to the Lord, accompanied by loud instruments. And Hezekiah gave encouragement to all the Levites who taught the good knowledge of the Lord. And they ate throughout the feast seven days, offering peace offerings and making confession to the Lord God of their fathers. Imagine God's heartlessness watching this go on. These people who had wandered away from him, these people who were serving idols, now they got rid of all the idols. They got rid of all the, the false things. They had set up the worship of God again, cleansed out the, the temple. And here they are just having a good time, just celebrating the, the feast and worshiping God and just hooting and hollering and making all kinds of noise. What do you think, God, looking down on this, God has got to be glad about what Hezekiah is doing here with the people. And Hezekiah gave encouragement to all the Levites who taught the good knowledge of the Lord. And they ate throughout the feast seven days, offering peace offerings and making confessions to the Lord God of their fathers. So there was teaching that was going on too. They were teaching them the things of God, the things that they should do. Then the whole assembly agreed to keep the feast another seven days. And they kept it another seven days with great gladness. Now, that's apart from the Word of God. The Word of God says that they had how many days were supposed to go on? Seven days for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. One day, it was all laid out. And they said, you know what? We're having such a good time. We haven't done this in a while. Let's just go on for another seven days. And they did. And God was apparently okay with it. So they went on for another seven days and, and continued the feast because they were so excited about serving God. For Hezekiah, the king of Judah, gave to the assembly a thousand bulls and seven thousand sheep. And the leaders gave to the assembly a thousand bulls and ten thousand sheep. And a great number of priests sanctified themselves. And the whole assembly of Judah rejoiced. Also the priests and Levites and all the assembly that came from Israel. And sojourners who came from the land of Israel and those who dwelt in Judah. So there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there has not there has been nothing like this in Jerusalem. Now, you remember back in the Solomons when we covered the, all that, what an incredible slaughter they made to, to do it when they got the house of God ready and they were celebrating it. And he said, since then, there has not been this kind of celebration over one of the feasts. Then the priests and Levites arose and blessed the people and the voice was heard and the prayer came up to his holy dwelling place to heaven. Boy, what a, can you just see the revival that's going on inside these, these people? What is astounding to think that these folks in just, just last year, just last year, were worshiping idols. We're going up on the high places to worship their idols. 
were going over to the poles and over to the uh, wooden images and worshiping their idols. And now they're worshiping God. They're coming to the place that they neglected. They let it lie in, in ruin. And now they're coming in there with great gladness. Verse 1 of chapter 31. Now when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke the sacred pillars into pieces, cut down the wooden images, and threw down the high places and the altars from all Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh, until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned to their own cities, every man to his possession. Let me read this one over here to you one more time. Now when all this was finished, all the, the feast, the seven days, the extra days that they put in there, all who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke the sacred pillars in pieces, cut down the wooden images and threw down the high places and the altars from all Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh until they had utterly destroyed them all. When we read in Kings, it sounded like Hezekiah went out there and did all this. But when you find out from Chronicles, Hezekiah led them and restored the worship of Jehovah got them excited about worshiping God again. And the people leave that celebration to go back into their homes and their home cities and destroy the idolatrous stuff that was there. That means that when Hezekiah put this on, the idolatrous worship, the sacred pillars were still in place. And he brings them all in. He restores them to the place of worship of Jehovah. And then they head on out I'm sure he commissioned them. Now we're worshiping, we're worshipers of Jehovah. Now go on home and take down those poles, take down those sacred places, knock them down, cut them down, and they all go out and they do it. Not only apparently in the cities of Judah, but Ephraim and Manasseh are mentioned. That some of the people who had come down from the northern tribes head on back up and they take down their sacred. They may not have gone to take down their neighbor's sacred images, but they probably took down their own. And they got rid of it. And some of the neighbors may have rose up and said, what are you doing? I'm not worshiping this idol anymore. I'm going back to worshiping Jehovah. That had to be a tough thing to do. But some of them did it. We understand it wasn't a majority of the people that were up there, but some of them came on down, participated, and went back and destroyed these things. Left off at where? How are we only Didn't, didn't do any more than that, huh? They cut down the wooden images, threw down the high places and the altars from all Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, Manasseh, until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned to their own cities, every man to his possession. And Hezekiah appointed the divisions of the priests and the Levites according to the divisions, each man according to his service, the priests and Levites for burnt offerings and peace offerings to serve and to give thanks and to praise in the gates of the, of the camp of the Lord. The king also appointed a portion of his possessions for the burnt offering, for the morning and evening burnt offerings, and the burnt offerings for the Sabbath and the new moons, and set feast as it is written in the law of the Lord. So he, he says, look, we're going to take part of what we have as the king's money, and we're going to let this finance these feasts that we have going on, and we're going to make sure that we have these feasts going happening, that they're going to continue to go on, and we're going to make sure we have enough things to take care of all that. But we got people appointed for the sacrifices. We got people for appointed for worship. We got people appointed to be in the gates. And all these things are, are going on. And it's just tremendous. Now you can continue. We're not going to continue it here. 
But you can continue to read in Second Chronicles 31 and see all the things that are restored, all the things that they do in the service of the Lord. There's quite a few things that are listed there. But I want you to go from there and jump all the way down to chapter 32 and look at the first verse. Chapter 32 and the first verse. The king also, after these deeds of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah. He encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself. After these deeds of faithfulness, could Hezekiah have been any more faithful to do the things that, that God wanted to be done? After all these things, after taking down all the idols, after restoring the worship in the heart of the people, not just having them do something, but restoring it in their heart so that they decide, we want to, we want to stay longer. We want to worship God longer. It's no longer, we're not here because you told us to be here. We're here because we want to be here. He restored all that in them. And after all this faithfulness, it says, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah. He encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win over to himself. We're going to save this part of it for next time. But how often do we see people come away with this idea that you know, no, no good deed goes unpunished, as they say. That, uh, well, God, I've been faithful. God, I've been doing what you said in your word. And it seems like my situation got worse. It seems like things are not, not going all that well. And this is what's going to happen for Hezekiah. He does some wonderful things in the kingdom. And then all of a sudden, here comes Sennacherib. The people who captured the folks in the north, took them away, distributed them all around their, uh, their vassal nations. And here they come. And they take over some of the cities. And they surround Jerusalem. And they have a warning that they give to the king. And it doesn't seem to be going so well for them in the fight. And yet we look at this and it doesn't make sense to our normal way of doing things. How does God allow this to happen and the Word of God even says, after these deeds of faithfulness, this is what happens. Well, the reason should, be no, should certainly be very clear. The enemy has, has been developing a stronghold in each of these nations. His purpose is to destroy them. And now Hezekiah comes along and messes it all up. Stirs them all up for the worship of God. We've got to do something about that. So he sends his guy, Sennacherib. Remember, he's king of Assyria, who is one of the seven heads. One of the ones inspired by the dragon. The dragon, in the book of Revelation, tells you very clearly who the dragon is. And the dragon is the one who inspires all seven heads. These are the ones that come against it. He is using them to come against, because he wants to stop Israel from worshiping God. And so we're going to come in and we're going to try and discourage them. And it seems that Sennacherib has the upper hand because Israel is losing battles. They're not winning battles. They're losing battles. And so we'll, we'll see how some of these... The, the, the follow-up one on this one is just was one of my favorite areas of Scripture, one of my favorite things to get into. The whole thing with Sennacherib and what had gone on there is just astounding. We're going to tie in some, some other areas of Hezekiah's life, some things that you wonder, how did this happen? What was going on here? And we're going to let it all make sense as we uh, tie into this the next time. But here's the thing you've got to take a look at. 
Hezekiah doesn't just force a change upon the people. He does it in the same way that the priest took care of the house of God. He restores it from the inside and works its way out. The priests go into the inner part and they clean up the inner part and they work their way out and then they eventually get to the place on the outside and they clean it up. They don't clean up on the outside. They clean up on the inside first. And Jesus, when he talks to the Pharisees, you're concerned about the things that are on the outside, but the Lord is concerned about the things that are on the inside. That's, the, that's what's most important. And with the people of Israel, he first cleans them up on the inside. He brings them into this wonderful feast, gets them excited about the worship of God again, and then dispatches them, and they go out and clean up the nation of Israel. They take down the sacred pillars. They take down the high places. They break up these altars and Asherah images and so forth. They do all this on their own because they're excited about that. And these can be lasting changes. What happens with Israel, and it's amazing, when they get a good king, they all follow after God. When they get a bad king, they all follow after God, uh, after the idol. You get a good king, they all follow after God. You get a bad king, they all follow after the... So Hezekiah is working to restore them on the inside. He has the priest get in the role of teaching, teaching them the things of God, teaching them the Word of God, bringing that up, changing them from the inside out. And he does a masterful job of this. And yet, it doesn't last as long as it needs to because the people didn't maintain it. And we're going to look at some of the things that happen with that. But the best changes that we can do are the ones that we do on the inside of us first. It's so easy for us to look at the outside of everyone else and see what they need to do. But we've got to make our own internal changes first. And when we make them from the inside, oh, we can see something better come on the on the outside. People always say, you know, if I had a better car, I would take better care of it. Right? It's false. Until you take care of the car you have, whatever you get car next, it's exactly how you're going to take care of it now. Just, just look at the car you have now. The next car you get will look exactly like that if you don't do something different. If you don't change the way that you treat your car. If you treat your car good, it'll treat you good. Same thing with your house. Same thing with, with we gotta, we got to change what we're doing on the inside first. And then we'll see the changes on the outside. Got to have that, that go on. There's a lot of times we take a look at our car. Oh, I don't like my car. Old, beat up, it's no good, don't like this car. I want to get something else. And we treat it like that. We've we, we got to change it on the inside first. Sometimes we've done this with the things of God. We have a call of God in our life. We have exhortations from the Word of God that are general. We have exhortations that come to us that are specific. And if we don't treat them well, if we don't pursue them with everything that's in us, if we don't change our attitude towards those things, then what's on the outside will never change because we've never changed what's on the inside. First thing we've got to do is clean up the inner in order to have an effect on what is on the outside. Father, I thank you for the example you gave us in Hezekiah. What a wonderful vision we see of how to restore, how to bring things back to the way they were. What a reformer he was. And he knew how to reform the people. 
and make some changes that would be lasting. The changes he does in the people here are going to have an effect upon the nation of Israel like we never saw in their history. They will do some things in the time to come that is shocking. Shockingly good. Wonderful in its scope. And it's because of what was done on the inside first. Thank you for the things we can learn from this. Thank you for the things we can apply to ourselves that we can take care of our inside so that we can see a change on the outside. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.